Well, good morning, LCM. Good morning. Today, today is July 4th, 2021. And today is a good day. Nay, may I say it's a great day. It's great to not be British today. Oh, man. <laughs> Better food and freedom. Prettier people, better teeth. <laughs> oh, it's a good day and great day to not be a sinner in the house of God as well. I'm talking about it's, it's good to be a guy in love with the Lord. Kind of like Guy Fox. If you don't know about that, look it up later. Ask your pastors about it. Where we're going to go this morning is a continuation of where we went last Sunday, you know, directed steps from Psalm 23, that God is directing us on a journey. And this morning, we're going to journey through the law, prophets, and writings as the Lord has been impressing the pastors of this church. We're going to have a more holistic view of salvation. Could that help you out this morning? And we're going to bring you into a whole new world of the Spirit. Look, you ought to appreciate that, Ministry Training 1 students. Uh, that's something that you repeatedly heard last Friday night. And Ministry Training 2 students, this is what you guys were focusing on Friday night as well. So are you guys ready to go on this journey with us? Yeah. Amen. We're going to begin in the law. And just to be perfectly transparent this morning, we simply took what we were most interested in this week as three individuals, and it happened to be... Law, prophets, writings. And this helps us look at the word more holistically. And uh, so on Independence Day, we're relatively independent of notes. We're just going to share our, our heart with you this morning. Is that all right? Okay, we're going to turn to the book of Leviticus. Yeah, I can see your overwhelming zeal. I can see how you thought, amen. Leviticus. One of the reasons that we're turning to the book of Leviticus is the Newer Testament makes declarations about the law that can be difficult to understand, especially not having the platform of 1,600 years of appreciation for the law. For instance, Romans 7 says several times that the law is holy, spiritual, and good. Uh, Psalm 19 says that the law gives light to the eyes. It makes a simple person wise. The Bible's overall view of the law is entirely positive. The few negative statements that you seem to find are about the misapplication of the law. Well, I want to start with you in the book of Leviticus. And just to lay the whole biblical groundwork quickly, I, I do have a slide for you. The Mosaic Covenant is referred to in Deuteronomy 7.9, Deuteronomy 7.12... 1 Kings 8.23, you can see these on down the slide. Seven times, law, prophets, writings, specifically as a covenant of love. Whatever else we talk about this morning, the foundation that the Bible lays for your view of the law of God is that it establishes his covenant of love. So it cannot be bondage. It cannot be terror. It cannot be any of the things that misinformed preachers have made it because it was a convenient whipping boy. The law is a covenant of 
Love. The law is a covenant of love. Now, I picked the book of Leviticus to start in for one reason. Of all of the books in the Bible, the one that I think is most misunderstood is not the book of Revelation. It's not even the book of Ecclesiastes. It's the book of Leviticus. How many of you just get a warm, fuzzy feeling in your stomach when somebody says, turn to Leviticus? And we're a church that loves the law. Yeah, our one man called to Israel who is speaking Hebrew daily, he gets it. I want to help you change your view of the law through the book of Leviticus. And I promise you won't see it the same ever again. But as you view Leviticus, that's how you tend to view all the rest of the law. Does that make sense to you? So that's, that's where we're starting. Let me, let me just uh, tell you. This, we go from Genesis to Exodus to Leviticus. When you get to the third book in your Bible and you see the title Leviticus, just to start with, it's wrong. It's not even close to right. It conveys everything that is wrong about our view of the law. Leviticus is a Latin word, okay? So unless you're a doctor or a lawyer or one of those pig Latins, then um, you need to understand something. You've improperly accepted a name of a book. Leviticus is Latin for pertaining to the Levites. You know what's really, really wrong with that? Same thing as Christian view of the law. If it pertains to the Levites, then it doesn't pertain to me. It lends itself to the idea of segmentation. You need to know something. That is not what this book is called in Hebrew. So I want to read to you Leviticus 1. The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. The Hebrew title is Vayikra, and it means he called. There's a big difference between opening a book and it being called pertaining to someone other than you. And opening a book and seeing that Yahweh is calling to a man. The book of, of Vayikra or Leviticus should first and foremost, just like the law, be seen as a holy God who is calling out to a man. Now, that, if that doesn't change your view, watch where it goes from here. Let's take the second verse. Speak to the Israelites and say to them, before we finish this, not only is a holy God calling to a specific man and he's seeking him out, he's calling him. He's then going to tell that one man, I want you to speak to all the Israelites on my behalf. If you don't see shadows and types of Jesus in that, then I, I well, we need to teach you better. The book of Leviticus is about a holy God calling to a man and that man conveys his message to the people. And what is the message? Speak to the Israelites and say to them, when any of you brings an offering to the Lord, bring as your offering an animal from either the herd or the flock. Herein lies our problem. When you hear the word offering, you think of one of two things, either a blood and guts kind of thing that you have no association with or a box in the corner of our church or a late night teacher on TV trying to get you to send them an offering. It may be that you have no positive association with offering, but that's not what this word means. It's not a blood and guts kind of thing. Let me show you that word brings an offering is one word in Hebrew. It's Korban. 
And it literally means to draw near. Uh, These first two verses are revolutionary. A holy God is calling to his people and telling them, when you want to come near me, and then the book is going to go on from there. I want you to catch something. What if you didn't know that you could approach a holy God? What if you didn't know that he was calling to you? What if you had no concept of him and you encountered this book and you found out that the creator God of Genesis, the freeing God of Exodus, is calling to you as an individual and saying, you can come near me and now I'm going to tell you how. Does that sound like bondage to you? No. Does that sound like a B-grade slasher movie with blood and guts everywhere to you? Now, this brings me really to a particular concept. God himself draws people. John 6.44 says that. And you can't be saved unless the spirit of the Father draws you. Imagine that you did not think sin was your biggest problem because you were not raised in a Judeo-Christian setting. That was not in your mind or awareness for a minute. And you're in China or you're in Mongolia or you're anywhere that you can think of that is far. And you start to realize that there is a holy God calling to you and you have a chance to come near him. Instead of seeing sin as an obstacle, you'd probably feel privileged right away because he's calling. You would have to learn much more about him before you ever started to think about sin at all. Watch where Leviticus 1.3 goes. In Leviticus 1.3, if the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he is to offer a male without defect. The word for burnt offering is a special one. And of course it means burnt offering or it wouldn't be translated that. But look at our next slide. This word is olah. A holy God has called to you. You found out that you can draw near to him. And now he's going to tell you, what is your problem when, you're call, when you want to draw near to God? Lord, my feet are right here and you are somewhere that I can't see. How do I draw near to you? Right. When you korban, when you come near to me and make an offering... When that burnt offering smoke rises up, it will be like you are stepping towards me, like you are ascending towards me. I know you can't see it. I know you can't perceive it. So I have put something here that will literally rise into the heavens and disappear that is a symbol of what you are doing when you desire to draw near me. Come on. Now, doesn't that sound like James 4 to you? Yeah. If you draw yes. near to him, he'll draw near to you. Yes, it does. does that sound like an oppressive, wicked setting? Pastor, that sounds just like if we're thinking about it, the importance of having the understanding of a much larger narrative of what God is speaking. If if Leviticus has a, a different understanding in the name, it says it means that he called. The entirety of the Torah actually helps us to give an even bigger picture. If we just look at what the Hebrews called each of the first five books of the Bible, you get in the beginning. Everybody say in the beginning. In the beginning. Then it says these are the names. These are the names Shemot, that he called. Vayikra, Vayikra that he called 
in the desert and gave his words, the idea of the entirety of the Torah. If you just take the first words, if you just take the first meanings of these, you're already starting to build a different understanding of God's entire plan that he's calling. Uh, maybe you've never been to China but he called us as foreigners and he was calling and he's calling to us today. There's something that's special that's going on here because he wants us to be able to rise up to where he is, to ascend, to be close to him. Does anybody want to draw near to the Lord? Yes. I want you to notice he is not talking to them yet about sin in any way, shape or form. He's talking to them so far about calling to them about them being able to draw near and how their feet that are planted on the ground mystically contact him in the heavens through the smoke rising. Okay, let's look at chapter two in verse one. In chapter two, in verse one, when anyone brings a grain offering to the Lord, this word in Hebrew is mincha. Uh, if we could show that slide. It's very specifically bloodless, voluntary tribute. In chapter 1, we get the Lord calling. We get the idea that you can come near to him yeah. and yeah. that you can, Olah, ascend to him even while your feet are on the ground. In chapter 2, the very first verse, we get the idea that what he is actually after is your voluntary tribute. Come on. Look, he hasn't made sin an issue yet. All he is concerned with is, do you want to enter into relationship with him? And if you do, then there's a way to ascend in his presence. If you do, he is interested in you wanting voluntarily to meet with him. Yeah. Yeah. This is the first two chapters. Would you like to see chapter 3? Yeah. Yes. Chapter 3, verse 1. If your offering is a fellowship offering. This word in Hebrew is shilim. Shilim means thanksgiving, peace, or fellowship. Is it remarkable to you that the third offering is about showing thankfulness to him? About wanting to be in right order with him? Wanting to have fellowship with him? Walk back through these steps. A holy God is calling to you. You find out you have the opportunity to come near him. And you don't know how. So he says you'll get to Ascend in the smoke with your offering. Say, okay, on, amen, I'll try that. Whoa, whoa, what do I do next? I want your bloodless, voluntary tribute. Okay, Lord, I'm willing and I want to. I'm, I'm, I'm coming. Now what? You have to want peace and fellowship with me. Anybody in here want peace and fellowship with the Lord? Anybody thankful in here today? Then and only then. Do we move to Leviticus 4? Four chapters into this is the first time, if we could put Leviticus 4.3 on the screen. If the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, he must bring to the Lord a young bull without defect as a sin offering for the sin he has committed. This is the first time that sin is being addressed because he's addressing a man who has decided to draw near to him. A man yeah. who has answered the call. Yeah. A man who is aiming at perfection. Who wants to ascend into the presence of the Lord. Who wants with all of his heart to bring him voluntary tribute. A man who wants fellowship and peace with the Lord. The first three offerings. And you know what? God knows something's going to happen. Yeah. 
Let's look at the word for sin here. It's hata. It sounds very much like you stepped in something you shouldn't have. It means that in this journey to go to meet with the Lord, in this drawing near to him, you have missed something. You have been led astray in the process. You have brought condemnation on yourself. Do you know why you don't talk about sin to somebody who's not even trying to draw to the Lord? They're completely dedicated to missing the mark. They don't even know there is a mark. They don't, they don't have to be led astray. They're already completely overwhelmed in uh, a stray land. Not Australia, but out there wandering. Okay? So it's irrelevant. That's irrelevant. They're actually enemies of God. We're talking about those that want to draw near to him. The book of Leviticus is God calling, showing us the process. Now, I just want to reason with you for a minute. The missing the mark is an issue, but it's not as big of an issue as you think. You heard the prophecy here today from Mark 140. Yeah. Your leprosy yeah. is not a problem for God. It's, it's, it's not a problem for him at all. In Come fact, on. he can fix it in a moment, and he knew your condition when he called to you. It's an issue for you. It's a big issue for you because it brings something. Leviticus 5 shows us what God anticipated would happen. In Leviticus 5, I want to read to you 5 and 6. When anyone is guilty in any of these ways, he must confess in what way he has sinned. And as a penalty for the sin he has committed, he must bring to the Lord a female lamb or a goat for the flock as a sin offering. The thing is, is the word guilty and sin offering there are actually the same words. It's Hebrews, uh, Hebrew asham. It's uh, number 816 and 817. It's the feelings that you have that result from having missed the mark. If you could just think about this for a second. He's most interested in you wanting to draw near to him. Amen. Then he wants to show you the way. You're going to have to ascend beyond just your natural thoughts. This offering will help you visualize that. Yeah. You're going to have to want to bring him voluntary tribute from your life. Yeah. This offering will help teach you that. And it's specifically bloodless. Then after that, he is telling you, you, you have to want to be thankful for what I'm doing. Yeah. You have to want to be in right order and fellowship with me. Those are the first three steps. Then he anticipates in this journey, I know for sure that you will miss the mark. There'll be hata. You, you will step in things you should not have stepped in. That's true. Some of them will come from you and your children. Making you feel dirty and ashamed. And I want to deal with that too. Now, in chapter 5, we don't have time to teach it. There's a lot of things we're going to get to today. I want you to know that verse 7... If he cannot afford a lamb, God is concerned with your feelings of guilt and shame that he says, I want you to bring a lamb and that's how you'll get rid of this. But if you cannot afford a lamb, then look at verse 11. You can bring two doves, but if you cannot afford two doves, then two pigeons, if you cannot afford two pigeons, we couldn't afford the lamb. We couldn't afford the doves. We can't afford the pigeons, but we also can't afford sin and these feelings. Lord, what else can we do? He said, you got any flour? The most basic staple in any household. If you don't have flour in the house, you're going to be dead soon anyway. 
This is the heart of God being expressed in his life-giving Torah. It is him calling to his people. Let me show you what that looks like just a little bit in stages. You can korban to the holy God. You can be brought near. He's calling. He desires that. He wants that in your life. How do I do it, Lord? I see that you are there and there's a tent of meeting and there's one man in your presence. But how do I do it? Well, you can ascend to me spiritually like smoke that is rising. In fact, if you'll bring me your voluntary tribute, I will help you be in thanksgiving, peace, and fellowship. And it's about that time that you realize how good he is and say, yes. but Lord, what about my condemnation? See, because we've grown up in Judeo-Christian society, you think that your biggest problem is represented in the tabernacle. The altar is right there. I have to deal with my sin before I can go any further. Friends, you're already starting at the fourth step. You have to imagine Rahab. You have to imagine the kings from the east. You have to imagine what we actually are, which is Gentiles that were aliens and foreigners. You wouldn't even know about the altar yet. Come on. You would have to start off with... I feel like the God above all gods is calling to me. Come on. Yeah. I don't know why, but I, I sense that I can approach him. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I want to bring something, anything, because I want to show him that I'm appreciative that he's calling me. I want thanksgiving, peace, and fellowship. And then as you encountered him, you would start to deal with, but my heart is wicked. There are sin... The truth is, is you wouldn't recognize sin before you got to know him. Yeah. You wouldn't know what it That's true. was. That's true. And then the first thing that he says to you about it is, I want to deal with the results of that. Goodness. I want to get rid of your guilt and shame. But Lord, I don't have a lamb. Oh, that's okay. You got some birds. Lord, I, I, don't, I don't have doves. How about pigeons? Pigeons are everywhere. You don't have pigeons? Surely you've got some flour. In fact, you bring me anything. Anything. Yeah. And I will help you. Church, are you hearing the beauty of what Pastor's saying? I mean, I'm honestly tearing up on this side of the stage when I think about the progression and not just Leviticus, but in a place where he is calling to us, where he said long before you even understood anything about your sin, God was working and he was calling and he was drawing. It reminds me of Ephesians 5, uh, Ecclesiastes 5, Pastor. To guard your steps as you go to the house of the Lord. You know what it says right after that? It says, come near to listen. Come near. It's God's intention. It's his purpose. It's his desire to draw us. Church, I am telling you that God is drawing you today. He's calling you today. And he's already made the steps that are necessary. He's already given you a way to be brought close to him. Pastor, I'm just moved by, by this entire understanding that we're having today. Well, say it with me, church. Say, he is calling me. He is calling me. To draw near. When you see those steps in that slide that we showed you, how can you not see mercy? That God's desire is to call and have you respond by drawing near to him so that he can be in right relationship with you and you with him. This reminds me, if I'm a foreigner and I'm approaching Jerusalem and I see those gates of praise, I don't see condemnation. I see the mercy of God that is calling me to draw near. And I can enter in covenant and relationship with him. It's almost like Romans 12.1 echoes in this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. 
offer yourselves as living sacrifices. I'm a voluntary tribute. I'm an offering unto you, O oh God, because I know you want me to draw near to you. So picture for a minute that you've come from the other side of the earth because he was calling to you. And then you get to the tabernacle of his presence. What is the very first gate? Praise, because you've arrived. And then you start to deal with sin and then cleansing. The idea here is you don't like the law because uh, you've heard all it does is point out your guilt. Well, what do you think it does to ignore it? Okay. It's not only there to point out your guilt. That is ignorance. Okay. And there's been 2,000 years of ignorance preached about it. You engage these books as they actually are, and they'll transform your life, and you'll actually see that the Newer Testament's written right out of them. Now, I need to wrap up Leviticus because we want to move to the, to the prophets, and they're connected. I simply want to say, if you survey chapter 6, 7, and 8, you're going to find God laying down the procedures for a nation to implement this process. That's, that's not just rules and regulations. It's just like church. It's great in your living room. And as you put a few hundred people there, you're like, uh, we're going to have to organize some chairs. Okay? Uh, you love church, but as, as there's 85 children under five, you're like, okay, we're going to have to make some classrooms. It's just him organizing a nation to draw near right. to him. Amen. And then he does something that is amazing. He appoints one family. To help guide all the others in that process. It was so important that he not only organized in chapter 6, 7, and 8. The family and the procedures. He wanted somebody to guide them. Come so on. that nobody would miss it. He wanted them to be pastored through the process. Yeah. Is that a loving God calling? Yes. A loving God providing mediator and assistance? Yes. Well, the thing is, in chapter 9. God himself. He, he does something incredible. Not only did he call and say, you can korban, and by the way, the very first offering, the burnt offering that is up in smoke. In chapter 9, he lit the fire himself from heaven. Come on. Why? Yeah. Why? Hey, this process began with me. I will fuel this process. It is me who is desiring you, and yes. I want you to come towards me, so I will provide the fire. Come on. Okay. That is what this book is expressing. And by the time you get to chapter 10, you find out that the one family, the one family who's to steward all of the others in the process, the one family that's supposed to help, well, they decided to do it their own way. In chapter 10. Now, you could think really badly of that family, but you know yourselves, you many times have done it your own way. The way that I prefer to think about it is that God from the beginning was showing you that the Levitical priesthood was a great aid and you should learn. But something better was coming. We needed a better priest. We needed a better mediator. We needed a better king. And something better was coming. And he's a priest like the Levites, but he is of a higher order. Come on. In fact, when I think about him, I can't help but think about David. Let's all turn to 2 Samuel chapter 5. 2 Samuel chapter 5. Man, where else can you go and start to fall in love with a book called Leviticus in English, man? That's incredible. 2 Samuel chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 17. Just for fun. Just for fun. Can you say Veikra? Veikra. 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 It's very important you get that right so that you're not talking about Viagra. Okay? <laughs> Veikra. He called. He called. 
2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 17. It starts and it says this, when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel. So the context of our story is here is that, that the entirety of the tribes of Israel have come to David and they heard the calling of the Lord. They understood because this is the same people group that we were seeing in Leviticus and they are here and they're saying, our God has called to us as a people, but David, we heard God call to you. God said that you would shepherd this group of people. God said to you, David, that you would become our ruler. And here we are in mass. We're saying we agree with the Lord and we want to make you king. They do this in a town called Hebron. A place called Hebron is where they come and they anoint David as king. You know what the interesting part about Hebron is? Well, there are many, many interesting parts. But if you just look at the meaning of the name of the town, Hebron, it means fellowship. The people who were hearing a call from the Lord and trying to draw near, what are they doing? They are doing it in a place that shows that they have the kind of offering to the Lord that says, we want fellowship with what you've said. We want to be close and thankful and have the right peace and shalom of God upon us in every way. Community, alliance, friendship, fellowship are all words that describe Hebron. That the king has shown up, and all of the people are coming to gather in fellowship. Amen. The word goes on to say that David becomes more and more powerful. Yeah. I, I, it literally says this. He becomes more and more powerful. Why? Because the Lord God Almighty was with him. Come on now, church. The strength that you need is found as you draw near to the Lord. And then in verse 17, you have the Philistines. They hear about it. Because you can't keep that kind of fellowship. You can't keep that kind of offering from being noticed as it is rising up to the Lord. And so the enemies hear about it. And here's what they do. They went up in full force to search for him. They're not just mildly perturbed. They are in full force to come against David and his people. Anybody ever notice that in your own walk? You start really, really offering your life up to the Lord. And what happens? It feels like all the hounds of hell are in full force to stop you from this moment. See, we can understand what it's like for David here, but David heard about it. He heard about it and he went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. So you have an ancient kind of enemy that's there and they're not just there in secret. They're coming out and they're kind of uh, trying to stretch their muscles. They're spreading out. And where do they spread out? They spread out in the valley of the giants. They spread out in the valley of even more ancient enemies that they're pairing up with. They're spreading Hata everywhere. <laughs> you got the Hata all over the place. See, these are age-old enemies that are coming in. It's almost like there are enemies here on the earth and there are enemies even in the celestial realm that are coming against God's people. Man, that's just like the Hata. That's just like the sin that is trying to get in between us. They're finger painting in it. <laughs> I told you we were not working on notes today. <laughs> the disgusting nature of sin. 
the absolute gross nature of sin that is always trying to separate us, to keep us between the God who is calling to us. And he, church, it is his desire to draw us close. I feel God's approval on this group of people. I can feel him trying to draw you close. Man, you don't have to worry about the enemies that are before you, whether they are like the Philistines or they're like the giants of the Rephaim. You have a God who is calling to you. And look what he does here. He gives the people a king. But a king that's often acting like a priest. Yeah. A king that's often acting like a mediator for his people, addressing the very issues that's trying to keep them from rising, from ascending to where God is. Look at verse 19. So David inquired of the Lord. Anointed as king, becoming more and more powerful every day because the Lord God Almighty is with him. The people in unison around him, and he sees the enemies before him, the Philistines in the valley of the Rephaim, and he goes to the Lord, shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? The Lord answered him, go, for I will surely hand, hand the Philistines over to you. You know what he doesn't do in this case? He doesn't sit there and wring his hands about the difficulties of what's going on. He doesn't, he's not immediately nervous. He goes, Lord, can I go get them? You're going to let me go get him now, Lord. Can I go and do this? Because I know that you are with me because you've called me and I've drawn close to you. Can I go get him, Lord? And the Lord says, oh yeah, David, you can go get him. Go get him because I'm going to hand them over to you. I love the warrior mentality of David. See, this is the beautiful part. You can talk about him in a priestly role. You can talk about him in a kingly role. But right now, I love the fact that he's just a warrior and he sees, man, it is time for battle. Let's go and do this. I can, I can imagine that he's doing it as he's remembering, you know, a lion. He's remembering a bear. He's remembering some other giant of a Philistine that he took his head off in the days gone past. See, David is remembering these things, and I'm sure that he's thinking to himself, moreover, God is going to hand them to me again. Look at verse 20. You might think of David as a poet. You might think of him as a musician. You might think of him as a king. And because he's often wearing an ephod and inquiring of the Lord, you might think of him like a priest. You might prefer to think of him as one of those things and not the others. But the truth is, is David is all of those things. And the son of David that is coming is every bit more all of those things than David ever was. Yeah. And we need to be careful because you can be like, I, I love the idea of David playing a harp and not like the idea that he also has a sword. Yeah. And you can love Psalm 23 as it describes Jesus as you would like him to be and not realize that Revelation 17 and 19 describe Jesus more with a sword in his hand. Yeah. Okay. The word gives us a holistic view of what Messiah is like. And there is no better picture for what the man... I sure wish I could have lived in the days of Jesus. Well, if you'd lived in the days of David, you would have seen relatively the same thing. Jesus is just a better example. Come on now. Look at verse 20. It says, so David went to Baal Perazim. And there he defeated the Philistines. He defeated them. He said, as waters break out, as a dam that bursts forth and the waters pour out, the Lord has broken out against my enemies before me. 
So that place was called Baal Perazim. I love this verse for a couple of reasons. And one is, it starts off by telling you where David was. So David went to the town called Baal Perazim. But then it tells you why that place was called Baal Perazim. Because the waters of God broke out against his enemies, and that became the defining mark of that place. What happens when the Lord breaking out in your life is the very thing that defines who you are, that defines where you are right now? It's only after the fact that you look back and you go, yeah, that's where God has. This is what we call it now. Why? Because it is a testimony of what God has done. It is a testimony that he's called, that he brought us close, that he empowered us. We became more and more powerful every day. Man, that is something special that's going on here at Baal Perazim. Think about that for your life. Whenever God has called out to you, you draw near to him, you find immediate opposition. That's just setting up the stage for the victorious king, the warrior God to display his strength. And it then serves as a memorial of victory that you can look back over and over again. This place is called Baal Perazim, where the waters broke out against Baal. But you know what really happened is that David kicked the Chata out of these Philistines. And it became a monument of victory. Baal Perazim could also be translated Lord of the Breakthrough, Lord who breaks out. Man, do you have some areas in your life where the Lord has broken through? Where the Lord has so devastated the enemy that you, you're like, hey, you can change my name now, Lord. Like Saul to Paul. Okay, I, I just want to emphasize to you. That when you see the Lord break out in your life, it really ought to change the way that you think about everything. It ought to change the way that you think about your own name, yourself. And if the Lord hasn't broken through in your life in an area, remember he's calling you into closer relationship yes. because he wants to. Yeah. And your sin is not as big of a problem as you think. He can help you with that in a minute. The bigger issue is your desire to get close to him. Come on, this is seen, especially in the next yeah. verse as well. Look at verse 21. The Philistines abandoned their idols there. <laughs> Very committed to their idolatry, right? And David and his men carried them off. Now that's not so David and his men could then go worship those idols. It is showing absolute dominance. Oh, this is your God? I'm going to now put him in my pocket and walk off with him. Because my God has broken out and absolutely devastated and dominated. Oh, that's your God? That's what you're worshiping? <laughs> that's really cute. I'm going to put it in my back pocket now. Look at verse 22. <laughs> once more. Somebody say once more. I just see him dragging those things along behind him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, great God you got. The truth is, is that those uh, idols, because they're viewed as gods over the geography... They're also viewed like title deeds to the geography. So it is Israel showing that they have taken possession and that that God couldn't keep their God from taking it. But I also like to think of them as like latrine targets. You know, just a little decoration to teach your little boys how to aim. <laughs> Verse 22. Once more. Somebody say once more. Once more. The Philistines came up and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. Here we go. Same song, second verse. See, we're just doing it again once more. So David inquired of the Lord. Amen. Isn't it a good thing to learn from King David that even if the situation looks exactly the same as it did the day before, that you need to come and inquire of the Lord again? And God answered him and said, do not go straight up. 
but circle around and attack them in front of the balsam trees. See, what we have to learn here and what we're learning from David is as God is calling us to draw close, it is not intending for your life to become a set of rote behaviors. Just over and over, a monotony that sets in. As we cry out to God, we learn that it's because we're in a cycle of revelation and relationship with him. He wants us to continually come back. He calls, we draw close. He calls and speaks, we draw close. What we are prone to do is when we hear the Lord, we then go run off and try to do it on our own. Got it, Lord. Thanks for letting me know what I, want, what I wanted to know. Now I'll go off from my own for a while until I get in desperate need and then I'll come back to you. What we're trying to do and what we're seeing here is that once more as the enemy is attacking, once more David goes and draws close to the Lord. Once more God is calling, once more David gets close. And what happens is he gives him some kind of special military intelligence. Man, it is not, <laughs> we've got to be careful that we're finding the military intelligence of the heavens. We're not just doing the things that we did before because it seemed to work before. He will give you the specific instruction you need because he's calling and this is an ongoing relationship. Can we be honest? Does God really need to direct them differently? Couldn't he just kind of like snap his fingers and all the Philistines fall dead? Yeah. What if he changes up the program because what he was always after was your interaction with him? What if he could do it any way that he wants? He's like, I did it that way on Monday. I'll do it this way on Tuesday. Check back with me on Thursday. We'll find a new way to beat him. The whole point is that he's calling to you, wants you to draw near. And David with a heart after him, it's not that he memorized the five steps of Leviticus and mechanically said, okay, I'm going from two to three now. Do y'all see? Four to five now. Do you see? It's that he understood the process was that it was about a holy God who was drawing him in. He wanted peace. He wanted fellowship. He wanted right order. And so he checks with him before he does anything because he's in relationship with him. Now, David didn't have a newer Testament to teach him that. Where do you think he got it? Come on now. Look at verse 24. Look at what God is about to show him. As soon as you hear the sound of the marching and the tops of the balsam trees. As soon as you hear something supernatural around you. See, they could have done it like they did it before. And God is showing them something different. As soon as you hear the sound of marching in the top of balsam trees, move quickly. Everybody say, move quickly. Move, move quickly. quickly. Church, you should be able to hear that God is stirring some things. He's beginning to have his spirit move amongst us. Consider how many people in this place are thinking about or about to move your physical house and your physical location quickly. If you have somebody moving in or out of your house or you yourself are moving to a new house in the next 90 days, raise your hand in the room. <laughs> Look, at that. Look at that. The way I calculated it yesterday was about 40% of this church is about to move in the next 60 to 90 days. 40%. What do you think God may be doing in our midst? Maybe he is stirring and we could hear it. And he's saying, I want you to move. I got something for you. You don't even need to see the far end of this. I'm telling you what to do now. You just listen because I'm calling to you that you might draw close. And our response, every man and every woman in this room, we're going to move quickly. We're going to get after what God has before us. Because you know what it means when you can start to hear what God is doing, when you start to hear his voice, when you start to hear him calling. 
Because that will mean the Lord has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. Come on, LCM. God has gone out before us. He's been training us. He's been calling us. He's been multiplying us. He's been maturing us. And now he's going out before us so he can dominate the Philistine armies that are out there. He is going in front of us. Look at verse 25. So David did. What he do? That's what he do. So David did as the Lord commanded him, and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Gezer. Wait, wait, wait a minute. That's the name of a nursing home in southern Israel. That's right, Gezer. Yes. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> in verse twenty-five, David did as the Lord commanded, and it said that he struck down all the Philistines. I thought in verse twenty-four it says that God had gone out in front of them to strike down the Philistines. So that means they are one in the same. God going out and preparing a way is so that he could put the sword in your hand and you be the actual one that carries out his will on this earth. That the victory is assured. That he is promising you what will happen. But he's the part of this that we have to get to is we have to did exactly what he's asking us to do. Now look, there's another part of this before, before I turn it over to my brothers here. All the way from Gibeon to Gezer. From Gibeon to Gezer. Gibeon, if you look this up and you study this, you find it's a Levitical city. It's in the region of Benjamin. It's a city that was given to the Levites, and specifically, this city was dedicated to Aaron's descendants. You know, the ones that were standing there helping the people know how to have their offerings ascend to the Lord to bring the korban that they might be brought close to answer the call of God. This city from Gibeon was dedicated to Aaron's descendants. And Gezer, it was also a Levitical city. It was a Levitical city in the region of Ephraim. It was dedicated to the Kohathite clan. So what is God doing here even as David is bringing victory? God is reminding them of the Levitical cities that he set out, of the process that he had that they might continue to draw close. See, we are lost on it because these just sound like city names to us, but they are about God's plan, about the steps that he has laid out, about reminding the people about the calling that he has to them before they had a need. Come on now, church. How long was God calling to you before you even understood that you needed him, that you desperately needed him? See, a long time before that, God is already at work. He's, he's speaking. He's drawing. He's breaking out ahead of us, almost like a, 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 a Micah 2.13 where the one breaks open the way, our king at the head. He is breaking open a way for us because he has the next steps already worked out for you. He is already calling. And so as we move quickly to answer that call, we can ascend right to where he is. In the law, we saw steps. And he anticipated what you would need before you knew you needed it. Like a sin offering being the fourth and a guilt offering being the fifth. In the prophets here, we see that David is gaining victories for the Levites that they couldn't gain for themselves. There's a picture in that. Nothing was wrong with the law. Something was wrong with the men that represented the law. But a coming king and priest yeah. would gain victories they couldn't gain for themselves. Yeah. Are you catching that? Yeah. Oh, it, this, this gets very good. Pastor Matthew is going to help us out with a couple reflections here. So before we actually turn to the writings, I want to read to you from Deuteronomy 8. 
And we'll pick up in verse 2. You'll see it here on your screen. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Look, in reading this, it sets up the understanding that these are steps that God intended for you to experience when being led by his spirit and his word. That the first thing that happens is that he humbled you. Now think about being in this position. When you're led by the spirit, you are, you are acknowledging you don't know where to go. That there's no, no direction that you derive from your own strength or understanding. This is what it looks like when he calls you. It's a humbling thing when God calls you cause you to draw near to him. Here I am. I don't know what to do. Here you are. You are the maker of heavens and earth. Amen. Who am I? Oh, you, you are calling me to draw near to you. Well, as you experience this humbling effect of being called to draw near, he then causes you to hunger. He causes that appetite to grow, to draw even closer, to move even further towards the center of his presence. If you're in that state of having an appetite, a hunger that's being built, be encouraged that the very next step is that he is going to feed you with his manna. As Pastor Matthew is talking about this, I can't put it on a national level or it doesn't work, but let's, let's put it on a Texas level. Anybody happy that you live in Texas right now? Oh, yeah. Okay, so, so King Abbott, which is what I think he should be. He... He sends you a letter. I, I'm going to do this in, in Wade and Christie's house. He, he sends a letter to, to Pastor Sutherland and, and Pastress uh, Sutherland. And, uh, and he invites him to dinner. That's an honor. But it's also humbling. I can hear Christie. I know the first thing she... What do I wear? It's, it's a governor's mansion. What do I do? There is a, a, a caution there. But the more she thinks about it, the more they talk about it, excitement and appetite starts to build. Amen. We're going to be in the presence of, of, of the leaders. You even start thinking about what you're going to eat there, what the conversation is going to be. Yeah. This is the process that is being described in the desert. Yeah. It's, it's humbling to have to be led by the Lord. But it also causes you to hunger for more of it. Yes. And that's a hunger that he wants to feed. Yeah. In feeding you with manna. He's really feeding you with the covenant of love that he's established with you. This provision that comes from a closeness that's birthed from that covenant. But it doesn't stop with just feeding you with manna. It doesn't stop with just sitting at the table of King Abbott and enjoying a dinner with him. It's then at this point that he begins to teach you. That what started with being humbled, then caused to hunger... Then feeding you, now you begin to actually learn something. You know that word for teach is yara? It's a pointing out. It's a rain that comes down. It is even the shooting of an arrow. And that what God is looking forward to is that within this covenant of love, this drawing near that you are coming to him, is that he has things he wants to impart in you. 
to establish in your spirit and your soul that will not only affect your life right here today, but affect the generations that you teach it to and transfer. But particularly what he's aiming at is to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is establishing a dependency. Look, I can't, I can't help but think what, what we're talking about with David is that he did as the Lord commanded him. It looked different the second time around when facing the Philistines. His, his manner was military intelligence. It was. <laughs> right. Look, how many times have I, have you experienced something where God called, you drew near, you received military intelligence, and after that battle, now that was fouled away as the way to do it every single time afterwards. And I just pull that file out and I go back to battle, but I don't experience the same victories. Well, it's because I need to come back to this point, what we're seeing here in Deuteronomy 8, that to teach me that I don't live on my own bread. I live on every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord every single day as it proceeds. No part of that sounds like rote, rigid religion. You know what? All you have to know is these 14 points. You know what? Here's six steps and then you're as good as you get. No, this was always about developing a deep, intimate relationship with the glorious Father yeah. by way of the one man that was close enough to him to perfectly represent him and brings the rest of us in. Yeah. That's, that's what this was all in. The, the whole Bible has been aiming at that. It's why Jesus quotes this passage when dealing with the Hata Rephaim uh, in the <laughs> desert uh, named Adversary. <laughs> And look how victorious our, our, our king was in the desert when he was being tempted by the devil, when he quoted this verse. Remember, the perfect son of God had to have this level of dependency on the word that came from his father, and he was the word in flesh too. How much more do we need that dependency on the word to be the source of our victory, to be the military intelligence of what we do in battle today? And you get to. Yes. You don't just need it. You don't just have to. You get to. How many of you are disappointed if you get to eat lobster today? Oh, I have to. How many of you are disappointed if it's an unlimited lobster buffet? I'm thinking about you, John Dang. <laughs> you can have as much of the word of God as you desire. This is all about. Amen. He wants you to draw near. Do you want to draw near to him? Yes. Look in this process of him calling you drawing near and sitting at the buffet of his word. Is that it's an ongoing cycle as a process of this covenant. In fact, it's from everlasting to everlasting. It always has been and it always will be. He is faithful to his covenant with you and is faithful to repeat this process to continually draw you to him. So let's turn to the writings. First Chronicles chapter 16. We're going to pick up with verse 15. First Chronicles 16, 15. He remembers his covenant forever. The promise he made for a thousand generations. Sounds very much like he's waiting for you to screw up step two, three, four, or five so that he can just quit on you. It's not what it sounds like? No. Amazing no. things happen when you actually read the word. Now, yeah. don't believe this is true about someone else. You need to internalize this. Yeah. Do you honestly think he's ready to throw you away because of some flaw that you have? You were uh, a bucket of 
trouble when he called you. <laughs> Whatever is going on in your life now, it's really about the guilt and shame that you feel from that. Yes. And the process of relationship with him was always intended to remove that so that you could walk rightly. Amen. Okay? Amen. This, is, this is forever. Forever. Look at verse 16, and it echoes this. The covenant he made with Abraham, a man free of flaws, right? No. Covenant he made with Abraham, the oath he swore to Isaac, he confirmed it to Jacob as a decree, to Israel as an everlasting covenant. Matthew, all three of those men listed in that scripture, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all demonstrably lied in the scripture. But his covenant with them was everlasting. Yeah. Okay. If you've had a rough week, rough month, if you feel like you're in a downslope in your life, he called you before you were even in relationship with him. Yes. Don't you think he's calling you further now? Yes. See, now that you're aware of your sin, he wants to deal with the guilt and the shame. You may have felt closer to the Lord at some other place in your life. It might have been that you just weren't as aware of what a bucket of trouble you were. Okay? Now that you're aware of it, let that drive you into his presence so that he can affirm you in an everlasting covenant. Yeah. He, he wants to develop the people in this house. He, he wants that, I promise. He's been calling since before you knew the right name for the book of Leviticus. Yeah. Look, where we are here in... in First Chronicles 16. David's returning from victoriously recapturing the Ark of the Covenant. And he's bringing it back to Jerusalem. And it's finally arrived and he is in celebration because there's now the restoration of the symbol of God's authority and presence in Israel. Pastor, what he does here at the beginning of chapter 16 is he offers Ola. He offers Shalem. And he gives gifts to everyone around. You yeah. can hear David, even as he's bringing it back in, walking through the steps of Leviticus in the order that they're listed before he tells of this everlasting covenant. This is an important point because in that journey of recapturing the ark and bringing it back to Jerusalem, there was a misstep that happened. That it was put on oxen cart and the ox stumbled. Uzzah reached out, tried to catch it, was struck dead. There was a point of a, a missing the mark in that moment. But he didn't stop in his tracks and just sit down and go no further. He got up and began to rightly sacrifice and continue to draw near towards the place where God's ark would rest in the city. Sound like some get up, stand up to me. Yeah, it is. If the Lord's called you, what, a, what an honor to get to draw near. Maybe you got to climb your mountain of shame. Maybe, maybe you got to just outrun it to get to the presence of the Lord. I promise he knew what you were before you walked in the building. <laughs> yeah. And he wants to fix it. He wants to help you. Yes. This is an everlasting covenant. It is. Look, David is entering into Jerusalem. And it's not just an attitude of, well, I'm glad I made it here, made that journey. He is overwhelmingly celebrating the return of the ark and being in right relationship with God. He is causing a stir in the whole city. And everyone's joining him with this rejoicing that's happening. 
because this covenant that he has with God is everlasting to everlasting. So turn with me to Psalm 103. Let's look at a song that David wrote about this. 103 verse 17. Somebody say calling when you get there. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. With those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. Look, what David is declaring in this song of praise is a cyclical, ongoing nature of this covenant. One that is from everlasting to everlasting. A covenant of love that is never ending and ongoing for more than just his generation. More than just the generation after that. But for their children's children up to thousands of generations that it occurs. Man, this is also reflected in Nehemiah 9. Turn with me real quick to Nehemiah 9. We're going to start in verse 3. Say calling whenever you get there. It's a beautiful thought that those of you that have entered into relationship with the Lord because you heard him calling. That he is increasing the closeness of that relationship. That that is an everlasting relationship because he wants the generations that come from you to never be without a relationship with him. Yeah. Yeah. Nehemiah 9 verse 3. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God. For a quarter of the day. And spent quarter in confession. And in worshiping the Lord their God. Quarter. Half of the day. Standing on the stairs of the Levites. Were Yeshua. Bani. Kadmiel. Shebaniah. Buni. Sherebiah. Bani. Kanani. They cried out with loud voices to the Lord their God. And the Levites. Yeshua. Kadmiel. Bani. Hashabaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah. I'm really proud nobody gave the interpretation in tongues. <laughs> Shandabahiah, no. Pethahiah. All of these Levites with phenomenal names, they said, stand up and praise the Lord your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. And they began to declare a praise saying, blessed be your glorious name and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. Look, having this means of drawing near because they knew that from the book of the law, they were being called by God to return to him and to be in right relationship with him. There was no condemnation. There's a restoration of right relationship for these returning exiles of Israel. Sin was not the real problem. Their relationship with Yahweh God was. Oh, come on. Listen to that one more time. I mean, you heard him. But, but you really need to engage with that statement. 2,000 years of preaching that sin has kept you from the presence of God, kept you out of... Uh, that's true and it's not. You do have to deal with things. But if your sin could keep God from dealing with you, all of you would be damned. Yeah. He's been drawing you into relationship and making you progressively more aware of the areas that he wants to transform in you. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is different than the attitude that you often have. Because I've made a mistake, now I can't talk to him. Are you kidding me? He's the only hope you have of not being a mistake. Yeah. 
And that covenant is established from everlasting to everlasting. Look, the Lord was drawing these men and women near just like he's drawing you. And he was telling them that they could draw near to him so they could be close to him. They could stand up and praise and rejoice in his name. They could declare that he is from everlasting to everlasting. They could declare that his covenant for his people is from everlasting to everlasting. Look, being in this position of hearing the Lord call to you. Now, there's that drawing that we respond back to him because I know that he is a faithful God that wants to bring me to the center of his heart by restoring everything in my life, but particularly the confidence that he wants me to draw near. Is it okay if we give you a rapid-fire succession of New Testament law, New Testament writings, then close in a New Testament prophet. We're an hour and four minutes in, and we hope that you're learning something. We really took a relaxed approach to this today. We can, we can do a pep rally some other day. We just didn't want to today. We wanted to share with you our heart about how we view the Bible. So you have a holistic idea of what the Bible is speaking about, and it opens a whole new world, spiritually speaking, of expectation. Okay. Yeah. We want to see you do well. This is Matthew eleven twenty seven. We're actually going to, I'm going to read it from the anglicized version. Do you know why I'm going to do that? I'm going to do that because we made British jokes earlier and I, I feel bad. Uh, at times we have uh, a multinational audience. I still feel okay making fun of the French, but we owe the British something. <laughs> and, uh, and so this is roughly equivalent to the 1984 NIV. It's just still available in the UK. So this is Matthew 11:27. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. This is in line with John 1:18. The son is in closest relationship with the father. And he in turn reveals the father to others. This is just like the holy God of Leviticus calling to Moses. Moses interacting with him. And then God saying, now Moses, you tell the Israelites. Yeah. Moses was the mediator between God and the nation. Well, Moses is great. Amazing, wonderful, should never be thought of negatively. Never. And Jesus is even better. Okay? Amen. Nothing is wrong with the written law of God. Something was wrong with men who uh, need a change of nature to accurately reflect it. In Jesus, we find out what our Father is like. In Jesus, we have the ability to be transformed into what He is. In Jesus, the call has gone out to the whole world, but it's the same holy God calling that was calling in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. This same God who is calling is desiring for us to be close. Let me read to you from Jude 24. Jude has got one chapter in it. We're going to start in verse 24 and listen to what this says. To him who is able... Yeah, to him who is able. 
Man, what happens when we start to engage the word rightly is we don't even have to get to the end of a verse before it starts ministering to our souls, to him who is able. Hey, Mandy, will you say he's able? Louder, Mandy. How about you, Danielle? Will you say he's able? Is there a man in the house that'll say he's able? He's able. Now, what's he able to do? Listen to what he's able to do. He is able to keep you from falling. Come on! You mean it's not up to us? He is the one is drawing us close and is giving us the right way. He is able. He is able to keep you from falling. It's not about your precision. It's not about your professionality. It's about your desire to get close to him. He is able to keep you from falling and... Somebody say, and, and, man, if that wasn't just enough, and he is able to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Come That's on. That's quite the restoration project. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he's taking an old sled, I mean, a, a rust bucket and turning it into something that has no flaws. Yeah, because as you're in relationship with him, you keep coming back to him going, I found another one. And he is happy to fix it for you. Come on. Can you hear the overtones of the entirety of the word of God that he is able to get a bride, to pick a bride, and to present to himself a glorious bride without spot or wrinkle? See, this is Jude speaking these things. He is able to present not only to keep you from falling, but to present you glorious in his presence without fault. And with great joy to the only God, our Savior, be glory, be majesty, be power and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, both now and forevermore. Amen and amen. That is what God is calling us to today because he is able to draw you close. Come on, church. Say he is able. able. Let me read to you our last verse for for our message. Revelation 17 verse 14. They will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will overcome them because he is the Lord of lords and king of kings. And with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Look, as we've been going through through this, the God that we serve is the God who calls and we draw near. As we draw near, he is able to fix every problem. He's able to put us in full shalom and bring us to that point where we're in right order with him and we are a great joy to him. But he's also a warrior king. He is a warrior and Yahweh is his name. He rides triumphantly, overcoming every bale that's in front of him. Riding as the king of David that is even greater than David himself. And he is bringing with him his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Church, what God is calling us this morning is to draw near to him to be part of that same grouping that is riding with the king of kings not the king of peasants but he is the king of kings and that's what he's calling us to please stand to your feet a holy god is calling because he wants a deeper relationship with you you think sin is your biggest issue and it's not your biggest issue 
is that you have to choose. You have to become chosen in the sense that you respond to his call for deeper relationship. Say, no, no, I've known him for a long time. Mm-hmm. That escalator is supposed to keep moving. Called, chosen, and what was that last word? That doesn't mean faithful to never sin. It actually means faithful to keep going back to Him. We're going to pray right now because a young lady just beat many men in this room that need to be at this altar. And she'll surely find grace at this altar because of it. You should not have to be pushed and coerced to be in relationship with your father. Whatever your issue is, settle it in his presence. He wants to help you. And understand this, walking out without doing that is literally turning your back on a God who is calling to you. Father, we lift up this time before you right now in the name of Jesus. We say you are a holy God. And we are a broken people. We're asking for your help in this place. We're asking, mighty one, that you would help us ascend in the smoke of this offering. That you would help us voluntarily come to you. Mighty one, that in this place, you would cleanse your people that we might have the chance to hold up our head in your presence. Come and move upon us in the name of Jesus.